welcome to Ultiverse OQ, your guide to the ultimate universe. Now in podcast form. I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. And today we're talking about... Some X-Men. And mostly the Fantastic Four. Yeah, uh, we get some interesting shifts uh, in this arc. Because we have the end of the Warren Ellis run, uh, and then a two-issue, what's essentially a filler arc. And then over on X-Men, we have the continuation of the Vaughn Ultimate X-Men run, which I I think I've said it before and I'll say it again, feels like what people stereotype the... Like Ultimate Universe as being more Uh than anything except for maybe Ultimate so far. Choices were made. Yep. And I also did want to point out that I did some research this week, Devin. (gasps) Uh, So if you notice on the lettering pages, Chris Eliopoulos letters all the issues we are going to cover this week, but sometimes... He is credited just as Chris Eliopoulos and other times as Virtual Calligraphy's Chris Eliopoulos. And do you know why, Devin? No. Is he an AI? But no, sometimes um, it's not the AI? The real Chris was, is allowed free? Uh, he was working on setting up Virtual Calligraphy, and so it was inconsistent on whether or not he was going to try and promote the company or just go by his own name. Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. I I reached out to him on Twitter about that, and he was very quick and fast to reply. Nice. He was very quick and polite to reply, not saying the same thing twice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this week we're covering Fantastic Four 13 through 20 and Ultimate X-Men 50 through 53. And the first story we are covering is Ultimate Fantastic Four, 13 through 18. Written by Warren Ellis, with pencils by Adam Kubert, inks by John Dell, Mark Morales, Larry Stucker, Nelson, and Scott Hanna. There is a lot of emergency inking here, mm-hmm. with colors by Dave Stewart and letters by the aforementioned Chris Eliopoulos. And it is interesting that they brought Ellis on... And he was literally just going to do a year of his run. So he had the Doctor Doom story, and then this uh, story that's called In Zone. Because that's where you try and put the football. Uh And win the football game. But the other team's in zone. And so Reed has been working on the portal to the end zone to try and get it to work again. And successfully sends through an apple, proving that he can send through organic matter. And he thinks that it will mean that it will allow him to fix himself in Ben Grimm, who was turned into the rock monster thing. And only those two, because Johnny and Sue want to keep their powers. Sue is interested in investigating her powers that break the laws of physics. And Johnny wants to be a hero. But Reed is also sort of concerned about where Johnny's getting his energy from, since his body like produces plasma that ignites when it touches the air. And did you ever read Planetary, Devin? I did not. So Planetary is a book that's partially about um, what happens when superheroes go wrong and 
or people try and suppress superheroes and the version of the Fantastic Four in that story is a lot more scientific so their invisible woman is blind when she goes invisible because no light can reflect off of her eyes and their human torch is uh, like more scientific and it's not quite the impossibles on the Venture Brothers, but it, it's sort of like that. Okay. But I, I give Ward Ellis kudos to just be like, yeah, here's enough pseudoscience to get what we're going, but I'm off this book in six issues, so that's all I'm giving you. That's someone else's problem. Mm-hmm. So you returns with the results of the app and they sent through and realized that there actually might be something inside it to explore. Reed wants to go through it and starts requisitioning things like Tony Stark's engines used on the helicarrier while also building new technology himself. Johnny, meanwhile, isn't feeling great physically and emotionally, and he thinks something is up, but he plans to keep his powers as long as possible because he isn't concerned with them killing him and just wants to live out whatever time he has left. Meanwhile... Uh, did, oh, wait. Hold on. Did you mention to- that Reed requisitioned Tony Stark's engines? I, I did. Just heard engines. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Sue and her father are working when Reed sets off a major explosion in a locked room, and when they check on him, he reveals he is ready to present what he has to General Ross. What Reed has invented is a new shield plating that's better used than Space Shell's tiles that can be combined with the Stark engines and a new thruster so he can build a ship that can go into the end zone. So Sue confronts Reed on this after General Ross, who they commented on him potentially having died back in Ultimate X-Men, which I appreciate. Uh-huh. Like, I feel that was Ellis being like, oh yeah, there's some continuity here. Let's just write it off as best we can. Um, but Ross is excited because Reed hints that it can be used for military applications. And ultimately, Sue, Johnny, and Ben decide to come along with him, but Sue and Johnny's father, Dr. Storm, is upset about them. He tries to stop his children from potentially going into a dangerous situation again, but they ask him to trust him. And then Reed talks about how they are going to retrofit a decommissioned ship with the tech that he gathered, because there's going to be a lot of ships getting decommissioned, rocket ships specifically, because of the Columbia disaster, which I sort of forgot about happening. Yeah, me too. Like, I I remember getting ready to watch um, when old man John Glenn went back into space. Yeah, me too. And I remember talking about, like, another rocket disaster, and I think Challenger. this was in eighth grade for me. Yeah, yeah, like the Challenger, but the Columbia, which lost seven people in that accident, uh, is something that is not as well-remembered, I guess. Yeah. Challenger's well-remembered because a civilian got killed in the thing, too. mm -hmm. And everyone watched it on TV because of it. Now we have a seven-second delay in all rocket ship fights in case anybody says a cuss or dies. Mm Mm-hmm. They caught on to you, John Glenn, you dirty old bastard. R.I.P. Mourn you till I join you, spaceman. (laughs) (laughs) It's gone weird fast. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on Space Talk. (laughs) 
So they all agree to go on this trip as long as Reed doesn't get to name the ship. And Johnny gets to name it the Awesome, which is, I think, the right level of dumb here. Mm-hmm. Because they all hate the Fantasticar for whatever reason. I, I think it's a very, uh, like, 2000s, what did you think we'd wear blue and yellow spandex type line? Oh, for sure. But uh, they built the ship and successfully enter into the red space of the end zone. Uh, they begin investigating and find that the universe is suffering from heat death as it is collapsing in on itself and physics are breaking down. Oh. Ben goes out to look at it and ends up having some fun in the vacuum of space before Reed pulls him back in because they hear a voice on the radio. After deciding they plan to reach out and knowing that Johnny isn't feeling any better, they find a massive pterodactyl-like corpse just floating around through space. And they find that time and space are acting up before finding a massive jerry-rigged construction in the middle of it. Reed ends up ignoring Ben's concerns about reaching out to them and ends up sending a first contact package, and they quickly begin communicating with the station, and they are invited on board. They dock and enter the airlock, finding the atmosphere to be deadly if not for their spacesuits. They are met by the insectoid leader, who provides them with translation devices and introduces himself as a Nihilus of the Nile cast. Or Nile, for short. You know, Fraser's brother. Mm-hmm. Which I Ben does not I care really for. Nile, have you seen my chartreuse sweater? <laughs> and then the audience laughs there. That's my Nihil voice. Now shows them around, uh, lamenting the upcoming death of his universe, being stuck working to save all the other aliens, and notes that Reed isn't local. He offers Reed information to stop the heat death of his own universe before Johnny collapses as a withered husk, and the team leaves to check on Johnny. So he wants to head home, but Reed wants to talk more to Nile because he feels that this is important. Soon knows that Johnny has burnt himself out, and that they have to go, so Reed asks Ben to come back with him so that he can say goodbye. When they get on, though, they find that Nile has the rest of the station set up as a bad refugee camp, where the other aliens have lost everything else that they had, and Nile might actually be a terrible person. Well, person is a strong word for this insect ah, totalitarian leader. Uh, so Reed asks Nile to set up permanent communication, but Nihil wants to leave the universe before it's going to die, because it's going to die before he does. He has like a one million year expectancy and there's 500,000 years left on this universe. So he plans to steal the awesome and he then explodes the communication devices on Reed and Ben's helmet, causing them to be exposed to the atmosphere. Reed uses his stretchy spacesuit to block his face while Ben is unaffected by the gas. So he starts beating the hell out of Nihil, who Ben can't understand anymore, which is great, because we can see what Nihil is saying. And so Nihil summons his army that looks like Jawas, or those guys in Phantasm. Mm -hmm. As Reed works to fix his helmet, uh, Ben rips off one of Nihil's wings, and Sue calls on them to return. They steal a plasma gun and make it back to the ship as the other people who were captured and stuck on the space station, take the opportunity to fight back. 
Nihil keeps chasing after them and tries to kill them while they're in the docking bay by disconnecting it, but Sue is able to save them with a force bubble, and they take off as Nihil takes off after them in his own massive living space pterodactyl. Reed blasts the Nas and enters into the portal, but Nihil is able to follow through. Uh, the space pterodactyl begins to fail as both the Awesome and Nihil descend towards Las Vegas, which the army tries to evacuate just because they're traveling so fast. Nihil's people descend out of their dying ship, and they start fighting with the Fantastic Four before the pterodactyl explodes on the main drag of Las Vegas. Luckily, Johnny woke up and starts blasting people with fire as Reed wrestles with Nihil. Reed sticks a plasma gun in Nihil's mouth to keep him from biting, and Nihil ends up shooting himself through the top of the head while trying to get it out, which is, like... It was a good bit. Hilarious, yeah. When everything gets resolved, Reed and Sue realize that Johnny just ended up shedding his skin, and General Ross is really angry about what happened until Reed gives him the plasma gun, promising to be able to easily reproduce it. And the secret of the Fantastic Four's existence is now public because they landed in the Las Vegas Strip. Not unlike Mr. Cage in the hit film Con Air. Do you think Cameron Poe could stop Niall? Oh, easily. With his charming southern accent and that hair blow. Nah, I can't let you get off this plane. I'm Cameron Poe. Is, is that what you were looking Absolutely. at? Absolutely. Why can't I spend one more night without you? I want to fight you now. That's what I must do. How can I live without you? I wanna know. Homestuck got me into some very strange things back when that was a popular thing that I was into. Nice. You never got into Homestuck, nope. right? They had a recurring bit about Con Air and one of the main characters receiving the rabbit from Con Air as a birthday gift and then having to fight people and then they did a meaty version of the Academy Award winning song How Do I Live? Rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So, after that is Ultimate Fantastic Four, numbers 19 through 20, written by Mike Carey with art by Jai Lee, colors by Jun Chung, with letters again by Chris Eliopoulos, and uh, first things first, do you think the art worked here? Um, no. Yeah. Like, like I like I Jai Lee's big... work sometimes, but it needs to be the right place. This felt very much like he was trying... It felt very much like Mike Carey was trying to do a very controlled art thing, and the art just did not work for it. It felt all very constructed. Nothing felt recognizable as the facts building as we had seen it before. Um, we'll have the art gallery up, but it's all done with like heavy shadows against backgrounds. Uh-huh. And it makes a lot of what's going on here very, very unclear. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I remember hitting this arc way back in college when I was doing my Ultimate Fantastic Four read-through and being like, I don't like this at all. This is not Warren Ellis. Where Where's Warren? Where's Where's the Kuberts? But in classic Warren Ellis fashion, it's I'm here for a year, Mike Drop. Yep. Uh, I, I don't think his run really deserves all the hate that it gets. I mean, it tried to rationalize a lot of things that were put together very haphazardly. I don't know. I still wasn't the biggest fan of the Doom run. I I think it was, it was better than every movie Doctor Doom we've seen. Oh man, look at you setting the high bar. And also false. I do. Oh, are you I think the nineties Doctor Doom was better. Not the one. The, the Roger Corman. Give me the one. From no, the, the Roger Corman one. The never yeah, released the one, one that was never officially released. Okay. okay. Roger Corman has got the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. With all that weird nineties continuity, like, hey, Reed, I'm your landlord. This is my daughter. You're going to end up growing up to hook mm-hmm. up with her, but right now she's four years old. <sighs> God. Corman gets it. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, as the Fantastic Four are returning home from Las Vegas in a helicopter to the Baxter building, they are warned to think fast as the ship turns off and the Baxter building is shielded by something i have no idea what it is supposed to be and so the team hops to action and they ultimately crash the helicopter through the weird shield with the team working together once they get out and out of the helipad lieutenant willie lumpkins and the others find the security cards of everybody who worked in the building they decide to go in despite knowing that it is a trap because whoever got in has access to the defenses and the technology that the think tank has made. As they go inside, a mysterious woman appears on the screen, and she is recognized by Sue as Rona Burchill, who was not allowed into the think tank, and that was just before Reed got in, and they pretty much stopped accepting people, I guess. As they go in, they find that people inside the building have been strung up with something developed by Phineas Mason, whose 616 version is the Tinkerer, before an android attacks them with gel. Johnny flames on to try and stop the construct, but he ends up burning out the oxygen, which knocks out Sue, and the android tells Reed that it will eventually kill them all, but Reed escapes and tries to access the control terminal, but it turns out that that was trapped, and Rona, who calls herself a thinker, you know, like the mad thinker with the awesome android, captures him. Dun, dun, dun. Reed wakes up, uh, strung up as Rona explains that she ended up drugging Reed to make his body less flexible, and then injects him with her own memories where she was seen as a super genius but had social had issues socializing because she attacked the other students so she got rejected from private schools. But she was then invited to test uh, here but was rejected due to her psyche profile and saw that Reed had got in. She decided to test out her brother, so she stole her brother's brain and grafted it onto herself and starts auctioning off members of the Fantastic Four. Latveria ends up winning the bid as she starts moving them. 
The helicopter that was on top of the building falls off, crashing onto the platform to move them. Reed escapes and attacks, but is captured by the android, but he reveals that he unplugged the others from the drugs, so Ben fights the android, but ends up getting blinded by Rona. He then goes to try and kill Reed, but is stopped by Sue, but Rona ends up escaping, angry that the team only survived due to dumb luck. The team tries to relax, but a mysterious message comes through, and Reed Richards from another universe. It's a, it's a very weird story. It's not done well artistically or writing-wise. Oh. Also, the art, like, is, the art looks like Rona could have a disability more than she would, like, has a brain grafted onto mm-hmm. herself, which is weird optics. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's not good, and, like, I was trying to see what other people thought, and apparently her whole thing was, oh, there shouldn't be a think tank, just a single thinker. This could have been done better. It could have been done better if Rona was going to cut out everybody else's brain and mm-hmm. graft it on. So she'd have the ultimate mind. But that's not really what happens. Because, yeah, that's not really the vibe I got. Mm-hmm. And there's all of the stuff with her having weird speech patterns and, like, random... It's very much bad, crazy person, super genius uh-huh. talk for a lot of it. Agreed. Where it's just like, oh, I'm going to recite a bunch of facts. Anyways, uh, after that, we have Ultimate X-Men 50 through 53, written by Brian K. Vaughn, with pencils by Andy Kubert, inks by Danny Mickey, and John Dell, with colors by Justin Ponsor, and letters by DC's Chris Eliopoulos. Scott and Jean catch a moment together while the rest of the team is at Coney Island. Scott claims it's because he didn't get a permission slip signed, and Jean takes off Scott's glasses so he can look at the sunset. Uh, this this seems a lot more like he was giving mm-hmm. him a hand job, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a it's a very weird allusion to like the uh phoenix arizona scene from claremont's run where she takes off the glasses and then they kiss because here it's a horny subtext but it's not no. done well. it was weird should go yeah yeah because i mean in the claremont run it was all Oh, I will use my infinite cosmic powers as a phoenix to hold back your visor, or to hold back your blasts, and then we're going to fuck on top of this mason. This is, oh, yeah, you want to go look at the sunset without your red glasses on? Uh, Take them off, and we know that your optic blasts will dissipate into the sun, or before they get into the atmosphere, which is weird. I agree. It doesn't have the same magic. No. Meanwhile, at Coney Island, the team struggles to not use their powers. Dazzler tries to make out with Colossus, who isn't interested, and she blames Xavier for manipulating her to stay in the team. Storm and Wolverine debate talking to the mutants in the sideshow, like Wolfsbane, a second blob, Puck, Spiral, and someone else who might have been the Vanisher. Uh, Storm tries to think about how Angel and Nightcrawler have to be bored back at the mansion, but we get a quick cut over to reveal that they are having fun playing pirates in the danger room with Professor X secretly watching them. 
and okaying them. While Rogue is in the bathroom, Kitty starts complaining about her to Iceman, who is currently dating Rogue, and is asking why he isn't bothered by them not being physical. And Iceman's like, oh, it's not a big thing. And then he kisses Kitty, who is a few years younger than him. I don't know if Iceman's technically an adult. Rogue storms out at that moment, sees him kissing her. Rogue punches Kitty out, and then Gambit appears knocks Iceman into the carousel. So the other X-Men show up. Storm recognizes Gambit as someone Xavier had tried to recruit. Gambit ends up exploding the Wonder Wheel, forcing the X-Men to save passengers, except for Wolverine, who decides that he wants to fight Gambit. Gambit grabs Wolverine's claws and threatens to explode him from the inside, and then surprises Wolverine by stuffing his staff into Wolverine's mouth and exploding it before telling Rogue that he's there for you. There's no Alison Krauss mentions in this story, and yeah. it is bad. I want Gambit talking about how much he loves Alison Krauss. Rogue wakes up in a cell of Gambit, and meanwhile, back at Coney Island, Wolverine wakes up to storm off for revenge. Storm decides she's going to go after Wolverine, while Colossus will lead the rest of the team to the school and to look for Rogue and Gambit, but Iceman refuses and goes after Rogue. Back in the cell, Gambit tries to explain he was saving Rogue, but she kisses him, sees bits from his past, and she's able to escape the gauntlets he captured her in, only to find herself surrounded by guards. Xavier, meanwhile, is unable to find Rogue alone, so he teams up with G. Rogue tries blasting away her way out, only to find herself in the Empire State Building, where she finds that she was captured by Andrea and Andreas von Strucker of Fenris Inc. They are mutants who have energy blasts when they touch and plan to economically empower mutants and also do corporate espionage which they apparently use Gambit for, which raises a lot of questions, like, beyond that right theft, what does he really do? Is he a... Do you oh, think 100%. he's a hot Yeah. They want Rogue to help in exchange. They will not only pair, but help her to control her powers through bioengineering. Mm-hmm. That's Praxis. Storm, meanwhile, found Wolverine, who wants to kill Gambit because he cares about her. Uh, Storm wants to make out with Wolverine, so they make out on top of the building, but Wolverine quickly has issues with screwing her over. He smells Gambit and tells Storm to go on home. Rogue has issues trusting the Strikers, so they give her a bodysuit that will allow her to touch uh, who, when she wants and whoever she wants, and the Strikers plan to graft the material onto her skin. Rogue still has issues, especially because it's a corporation, but she believes that they want to help and considers joining with them. Back at the mansion, the hot gossip about Bobby kissing Kitty is flying until Cyclops gets them to stop because Cyclops hates that hot gossip. Rogue ultimately decides she doesn't feel good stealing to make up for what she did, and the Von Struckers don't like this. Gambit tries to stand up for her and gets blasted. Meanwhile, Jean and Charles are in the psychic plane where Xavier makes himself look like Jean's age, and Jean is in her third grade costume, which is her old... Marvel Girl 616 green dress yellow mask costume, and it's a weird scene. We're getting the creepy uh-huh. Xavier and Jean stuff here now, which I I do not like it. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird take. Like, I... There are so many weird things that Vaughn decides to bring in on his run of Ultimate X-Men, and I don't think any of it is worth it. No. So the Strikers try to threaten Rogue since her powers are off, but Gambit attacks her suit, deactivating it. She steals their powers and the pair blast out through the security only to run into Wolverine. 
the X-Men are heading towards New York, and Jean shares that they were captured by the Von Struckers, who Angel knows, and they head towards their headquarters. Wolverine and Gambit start fighting because Rogue says nothing at first because they Brian K. Vaughn just needed to put in Wolverine and Gambit fighting more. And uh, Gambit gets knocked out and Wolverine prepares to kill him. The Von Struckers, meanwhile, are under attack. Nightcrawler baths in with Iceman who wants revenge and they end up getting fought to a standstill until Angel, Colossus, and Jean show up and prepare to... Uh, reveal that the Von Strikers are mutants if they don't get their friends, which, not great. Rogue, meanwhile, pulled a gun on Wolverine to stop him from fighting Gambit and goes to bat for him for no reason, really. I mean, we don't see any... Like, is there any reason why Gambit and why Rogue no. should trust Gambit at this point? she stood up for him against the Von Strikers, but... Yeah. That's it. Yeah, but that's... Uh... It's once again writing to make things like the 616 instead of writing things that make logical sense. Oh, the same thing with Rogue and Iceman's relationship. It was them trying to make it like the X-Men films. I I guess, but not as much. I mean, there at least it's, oh, this relationship doesn't actually work, but they're teams. teams. But we never actually got real moments with them. Uh, yeah, so Rogue mentions all the bad stuff Wolverine did, so Wolverine decides to quit the team as Storm comes in. Gambit invites Rogue to go with her. She mentions her real name was Marion, and the X-Men catch her kissing Gambit, and then she quits the X-Men, and they are left unsure of what's next. It's not good. It is not good. Like, I, I don't know what I don't know what the they were. I have no idea what they were trying to do here beyond switching up the teams. I mean, the cool part of Gambit powering, like charging up uh, Wolverine's body—that was cool. That was it. But like overall oh, story sure. moments, like what is the point? Yeah. Anyways, uh, we got in a question, Devin. Are you yeah, ready for it? a question that we got in this week? Do, 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 do. Opening up the Twitter, cause we got a tweet that was sent to us. Uh, Jay Dawson, who is at Jay Dawson, wants to know, uh, how dark does Gambit go with the ruinous gumbo? Are we talking blonde, brown, or brick red? I feel like he would go super dark. I feel like he doesn't make his own gumbo and he just goes to Popeyes. Ooh. I disagree. I agree with you that he doesn't make it himself, but I feel like Gambit supports the local businesses. I feel like he's enough of a greaseball that he does not want to pay that much. I mean, it's Ultimate Gambit who decided to live in subway cars and just got a cheap uh, Oh Brother Art Thou soundtrack to listen to because everybody had that and it was really cheap to buy it. Nice correction. Gambit shoplifts from the local businesses. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as a Cajun. All right, and now all we got to do is rank these three bad stories on Trials of the Multiverse. Are you ready, Devin? All right. Uh, up first, we have 
Ultimate Fantastic Four 13 through 18 in zone. I really liked it. Yeah, I was going to say, I liked that one just fine. How do you feel about it compared to Ultimate Fantastic Four The Fantastic? That was the first arc. I like it more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to... I don't think it's as good as the first arc of Ultimate Spider-Man, so do you think it's better or worse than Detention? The one-shot. Uh, a little bit better. It had more going on. All right. So our new number 11 is In Zone. Uh, after that, we have Think Tank, which... Much lower. Uh, yeah, that's... How do you feel about it compared to Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, the Marvel team-up issue? I don't think it's good. No. Uh, I don't think it's as good as Ultimate Electra, Volume 1. Correct. So then, um, ooh, how do you feel about it compared to The Tempest, the first Brian K. Vaughn run with Sinister of X-Men? This ended quicker, so this. I, I think putting it right under Spider-Man and Iron Man from Marvel Team Up Heath? fits. Yeah. Heath? Because, I mean, at least the teeth were the only horrifying thing the the all red art was a lot clearer. Yes. And then last we have Ultimate X Men Cry Wolf. Uh, better or worse than the Tempest? Uh, worse. Yeah, I mean, at least that had stairs and a lot more logical yeah. sense to it being bad. <laughs> so our new number fifty is uh, Ultimate X Men fifty through fifty three. Cry Wolf. And Devin, do you know what we are covering in two weeks? Some X-Men? Probably. Uh, let me look that up. I'm adding in zone, or I'm adding volume one to our list. Next time on Ultiversal Q. Uh, we've got the next arc of Fantastic Four, which I believe is the Marvel Zombies stuff. We've got. Which are we going to redo Spider that? Uh, we covered it in a very different way previously. There. Uh, we have Hobgoblin showing up in Ultimate Spider-Man, we'll and we've got the Fantastic and the Ultimate Fantastic Four annual. So we got a bunch of stuff coming up. Yeah. And we're getting close to Ultimate Nightmare in September. So, But not the real Ultimate Nightmare. Yeah. Ultimate. Yeah. It's a metaphor. So, Devin, where can people find you oh, online? You can find me online at Fred Offensus, F-R-E-G-D-O, F-E-T-T, and Luke, where can people find you? You can find me online at, at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. Uh, on Twitter, you can find both of us on the Exile podcast. And, um, yeah. Multiversal Q, Multiversal Q is a weekly podcast. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. Check out the website to see the image galleries. And, you know, if you if you enjoy the show, consider supporting the Patreon if you have feedback. 
sent that over. Feedback is good. And if you really enjoy the show, tell your friends so they can uh-huh. listen. Ultraverse with you, Ultraverse with you, Ultraverse with you. And you know what we say at the end, Devin? Catch you on the flip mode. Catch you on the flip mode. Peace.